everyone, welcome to another fabulous episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents Hometown Haunts. I am your host, Kat Logo, and tonight with me, I have Christina Wald. Hello. <laughs> and Jen Kohler. Hello. <laughs> and we've been up to a few different things um, this week, and uh, but first, we have a Kickstarter update from Christina. Woohoo! Well, we are... I like to think we're in the home stretch. Um, it feels like we're in the home I know, stretch. I know. We're 92% funded. Um, we only need, at this moment, we only need um, $389 to be fully funded. And then hopefully we can uh, think stretch goals after that. Um, and so it's going really well. We can do our happy dance. Not the happy dance, but a happy dance. Well, we are planning a Halloween stream. And uh, I know, am I kicking it off? Yes, I believe yes. so. So at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, um, and we'll have more information, I think, next week as we have more artists joining us. But so we'll have a schedule and all that official stuff. But I'm kicking it off at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Facebook, and I'll be drawing live, probably digitally. So I'll have a two camera setup. And uh, I can take requests by people in the chat and my specialty is drawing monsters so cool (laughs) good topic for halloween and i'll I'll probably start after you finish and um you know i i can take some requests i i don't know i don't know if i'm gonna work digitally or traditionally yet it depends on my mood Mm. i I might i might do traditional yeah i can draw figures (laughs) You could do color commentary. There you go. <laughs> oh, there it is. You know, people like whatever you make a mistake. And she's just going to put a little foof over there. <laughs> put in a half down over there. You know, I mean, you know, live streams are where it's at right now, really. It is. You know, I always think watching people draw is a little bit like watching paint dry. Um, you know. <laughs> Uh, that's why I usually for my students when I do my lectures I always speed it up a little bit because it's yeah yeah watching someone like it does although I'm addicted to the time-lapse stuff on Instagram Mm -hmm. it's fun to watch people put their artwork together but that's much more fun time-lapse is like sped up well yeah yeah. watching it live is 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 slow yeah (laughs) it's like it's in real time yes it's like what's um, that (laughs) <laughs> I know what's that like <laughs> I'm going at a snail's pace yeah I always like putting my stuff in um hyperlapse so that mm-hmm. you can see how fast everything because at the end even I I'm watching it I'm like hey that looks decent I did a good job today <laughs> yeah well it's hard like when you're drawing it it's like a different yeah it's like until you see it at the end you don't know what's going on <laughs> do you guys ever feel like you're never satisfied with your finished product I think that's a constant thing with all artists. Yeah, yeah. we want everything to be the best thing ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's usually I the, just roll with it. It's usually the most okay thing ever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's probably the best attitude you could have. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, this looks good for today. I'm going to move on and work on something else. Like every single comic page I finish, I'm like, this looks like a mess, but somebody <laughs> will like it. Well, Submit. That's always- that's always the hardest thing um, when teaching students is is that perfectionism and and you know they go over this in creative juice all the time too. Perfectionism mm-hmm. kills productivity mm-hmm. and creativity. Yes. Finished, I think yeah, finished yeah. is better than perfect, and mm-hmm. so you just have to let go. If you try to like noodle something to death, then yeah, yeah. It never gets done, and yeah, you're kind of into this downward spiral. Yeah, yeah, so, it's yeah. quite common. There's imposter syndrome that a lot of people. Mm-hmm. will have and it's super common and you're not unique if you have it and you right. just work through it if you're a professional artist you need to be creating something every day mm-hmm. so yeah. it may not be stellar but it's something mm-hmm. yeah well but it keeps you fresh though too i think mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and that's how you get better you have to draw something to get better well yeah yeah, yeah. uh f- famous science fiction artist kelly freeze said that your style is the same mistakes you make on every painting yeah, that's a good way of putting it yeah <laughs> yeah it's kind of a nice way that, yeah yeah <laughs> it's gonna say the head is always too big on all my characters 
So do we want to talk flaming skulls? I know I have an obsession and maybe this is an intervention. No, I enjoy your flaming skulls. <laughs> so we have a flaming skull naming contest for our wonderful flaming skull that Christina makes for every marker that we make with uh, Kickstarter of every uh, level. And they're just getting more and more elaborate, but the flaming skull needs a name and we don't have one. So Christina, what are the winner and runner-ups going to receive? Uh, They're going to get digital copies of our book. So we'll give them a download uh, for them to read so they can enjoy uh, and see the flaming skull in the book because it's in the Satan's Hollow book in color in the digital version. It's in black and white in the printed version. i know i know so you'll see it coming out in in you know it it looks really stunning on your pages (laughs) it's very eye-catching which is why we use the flaming skull as our mascot it's it's just one of those things that works you know yeah yeah you can't go wrong with it (laughs) no and they're known the world over as really popular haunted entities like yeah flaming skulls in japan and in britain and all over i know uh, troy was just asking today he's like why are flaming skulls there's none in the book are they i said there's always flaming skulls mm-hmm. <laughs> every good paranormal book should have a flaming skull i think so i think so yeah, yeah. Which... so we'll then uh announce the winners of the naming contest at our halloween show which is next week it is next week (laughs) i know i know but we have a really exciting episode planned for next week too yes talk a little bit about later yeah yeah do we want to head into weird (laughs) weird stuff stuff we saw this week we need a jingle for that yeah or or like some sort of weird announcer voice thing or something yeah like Mm. a crypt keeper kind of thing yeah so christina you're first on the list you you, you found something interesting to share with everyone. Yeah, I was reading, um, I always listen to the Mysterious Universe podcast, and I was reading that one of the articles on their site, and it was saying that most Americans living in haunted houses don't want to sell them. So it, it seemed to indicate that people like their ghosts, the things that go bump in the night and and are proud of them. I guess unless they're doing something really aggressive and bad, most people are not bothered right um and perhaps you noticed this when you were doing ghost hunting were people more terrified or amused they usually when i get called in and mind you is also as a historian so um they were just wanting more clarification as to who they were basically living with mm-hmm. and uh, more information about the life and how they can kind of connect on a more person to person level with mm-hmm. whomever is haunting the area um i know i have lived in a few different haunted houses and other than like once in a while the laundry detergent being spread on the floor annoyingly mm-hmm. it's like living with a roommate that you really can't yell at really or do at all yeah this is like gosh yeah. dang it Annie. <laughs> yeah like stop banging the closet the closet doors at night or gosh darn it fred mm-hmm. stop staring at me while i'm sleeping kind of thing so well, you know it's interesting they have the breakdown of where the haunted houses are because they did a survey and 18 percent of the people now i do you know the the thing that I, I guess if you look at this into the you know amount of population and area like uh in the midwest where we are like 11 percent of people reported having haunted houses but in people with, living in the west said 18 percent of them thought they had haunted houses and then in the northeast it was like 13 percent so I don't know if it's it's more, uh, you know, in the Northeast, you would think it would be pretty high because those houses, you know, have been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like the house I lived in Rhode, Rhode Island was super haunted. Yeah. Was and it super, super old? It was. It was from 1749. Mm-hmm. And we had two ghosts in it. Um, one that we called Elizabeth or Beth. And she freaked the ever-loving crap out of both my dogs and my mom whenever oh, wow. my mom would visit and then we had a teenage boy ghost that was a bit of a bathroom peeper oh so <laughs> this is not the first bathroom peeping ghost oh my god we're gonna get so many weird comments on this youtube channel um <laughs> but it based in, in this particular house um it 
wasn't always a house. It was modified to become a single family dwelling. So the master bedroom and bathroom were actually in the basement. And um, so I would be in the shower in the master bedroom and we had one of those and we still do actually shower curtains like a hotel where you can actually look out into the rest. Like there's a little wind mm-hmm. viewing window between um, you and then the rest of the curtain. And so I could see from time to time, it happened maybe twice when I lived there, um, this teenage kid would just walk through the wall, see me, and I'm like, the hell, dude, I'm in here. (laughs) And he just walk right through like the toilet through that wall again, happened twice. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just, also happened at the Stanley. It's skeevy, I hate it when it happens. It's like when you're in the bathroom using the loo and then, somebody walks through and you're like come on give right. me five minutes of privacy please yeah that 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 is creepy Although we should do an episode on see. haunted toilets <laughs> well, yeah that's the other thing is that yeah. i get like hey you can see me and i'm like yes now get out yeah. <laughs> you know um uh, troy worked on a, a ghostbusters toy when he was at kenner and it was like a toilet that turned into a giant did it have a tongue i worked on that Oh, it was one. Of, he said he didn't work on that one, but it was one of the ones. And they got like some very interesting letters from people about it because it like turned. It was a to- haunted toilet that turned into a. <laughs> no, no, Mm-mm. yeah, no. no, no, no. All no. right, so uh, we're gonna look at some of the houses, right? You're gonna, uh, you're, you're you were doing finding relics in singapore michigan oh yes so i had a fun fun weekend um a little bit of legend tripping i always try to do some legend tripping when i travel so we did our only vacation this year to the wonderful place that is sagatuck michigan on the coast of uh lake michigan and not too far away from where i actually grew up it's about an hour north and the interesting thing about Sagatuck is that it's kind of built over the remains of a ghost town and one, one of the Midwest's few ghost towns and one of Michigan, I think it's one of Michigan's few mm. ghost towns where the dunes basically, they, they deforested the logging community, which Singapore used to be, mm-hmm. uh, to the point where the dunes from Lake Michigan kept blowing in and over the course of 30 years basically devoured the entire town so it took from like the 1870s to the early 1910s and it just dunes have taken over the entire area now Sagatuck is actually just south of where Singapore was but they do have three buildings that they were able to save before they were taken over by the dunes and and it's kind of not quite a scary ghost town story because no one died it, it the sand was so slow that everyone was able to evacuate but the buildings were left the buildings that were saved were the singapore bank and then three private residences and now there's only three of those four standing so you can go see the original singapore bank it is at 317 butler street and is a bookstore known as the singapore bank bookstore <laughs> very well named and then there's two private residences so i would not go and bother these people when i went to take photos and i'm sure christina will show you the photos that i took yes yes i I literally jumped out of my car snapped a photo and left i didn't even get on their property um they have been interviewed at several times in different michigan magazines about living in they're not haunted houses they're just historically important houses so uh, the Holland Street house is from the 1860s and it's actually the two-story portion of the house was original, originally in Singapore. And then the Lucy Street house, which has a huge contemporary addition. It's just a square building with a little roof and everything. And that's the original part of that house. It has a summer porch that's been put on in the front and then additions to the back. So... As I said, they're they're there. They're historically important. The interesting bit was that they were moved. I know that little White House on Lucy Street is from 1868. The bank is from 1834. Mm. And they saved them by um, 
carrying down, putting them on slats and pulling them on a frozen Kalamazoo river. So they were put on the frozen river and basically hauled down to Saugatuck. So I find that interesting. The Lucy Street house used to have wood ties that they believe were responsible for helping bring the house down to move it. So, and then uh, I took a picture of the historic site landmarker, which reads, beneath the sands near the mouth of the Kalamazoo River lies the site of Singapore, one of Michigan's most famous ghost towns, founded in the 1830s by New York land speculators who helped, hoped it would rival Chicago or Milwaukee as a lake port. Singapore was, in fact, until the 1870s, a busy lumbering town. With three mills, two hotels, several general stores, and a renowned wildcat bank, it outshone the neighbor to the south the flats as Sagatuck was then called when the supply of timber was exhausted the mills closed the once bustling waterfront grew quiet and the people left most of them settling here in Sagatuck. gradually lake michigan's shifting sands buried singapore wow yeah wow interesting story do they know why they called it singapore was it i did not find any literature as to why mm-hmm. interesting maybe yeah. just do you know how far point? below the sand they are the city is um so it's not too far they've removed a lot of it over time there is currently a housing development being built on some of the parts of old singapore and it's called old singapore way was the um cul-de-sac that they were being built on i did not manage to get over to the dunes to take photos because traveling with a dog and a toddler is very (laughs) difficult And I didn't want him to get eaten because the dunes around Lake Michigan um, do have little caverns and pockets in them. And it's not uncommon for people to fall through them. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, there's there's been a few deaths. And uh, I had a friend die off the coast of Michigan, Lake Michigan, a few years ago. So not the dune did not eat him. Uh, He was swept swept away uh, from undertow. But oh, no. yeah, we're, we're, yeah, he's very fondly remembered. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, they are somewhat dangerous to go up if you don't stay on the paths that are marked. All right, yeah. Mudhouse Mansion. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, that okay, Mudhouse Mud House Mansion. I came across this because someone posted a f- picture of it in the Queen City Murderinos Facebook group. Yes. Hi, Murderinos. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, I want to go there. I want to go there. Then after doing Mm-mm. some research, it was torn down in 2015. You could have just asked me and I w- would have just been like, nope. <laughs> just so sad. I'm like, I want it though. Yeah. But. Second Empire. That's the style. I, yes, I was about to say it. <laughs> but yes, um, I guess they had to tear it down because they couldn't keep people away. It was super unsafe. And super unsafe. <laughs> after oh my gosh after seeing the videos of the inside i'm like yeah that needed to be torn down yeah it was bad it was bad. and i guess through the years the family would have to physically sit out there and guard the house with yes. guns yes to keep people off their property yes no yeah. trespassing yes <laughs> so i wonder if they ever shot at anybody they didn't say um that according to some of the uh just rumor mill yes they did yeah shoot not at people but like at the sky going hey hey i'm here property Hmm. so what is the history of mudhouse mansion Um, other than it was just demolished um well they can't they don't know exactly when it was built somewhere in 1839 or 1852 they think more around 1900s 1870s because of the second empire architecture Mm mm-hmm um but it was christian and eleanor rue is it rue rug rug no r-u-g-h i would say that's rug rug okay purchased the property from abraham kagi and henry blyler i'm terrible at names i'm so sorry they purchased it purchased it in 1919 the property was sold to henry and martha hartman Henry Hartman died in 1930 and the property was inherited by his daughter, Lulu Hartman, who married, who married Orrin Mast. Her descendants still own the land today. Mm -hmm. 
And they're planting and, corn on it. Huh? They're planting corn on it. Oh. According to an interview. That's cool. Um, and um, let's see. It's known as the Hartman Place. Mm-hmm. Same building described as r- rug, mass yes. house, and book heritage of architecture of arts in Fairfield County, Ohio by Ruth W. Drinkle. And this is all from Wikipedia, obviously. Mm. Um, but what is interesting, and again, I guess this goes back to how fol- folklore gets started just because it's an abandoned building. It looks creepy. Then the rumor mill starts. and Well, it it's has- a second empire house, which is what I think at least the Munster's house looked like. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it, it already had that feeling of being haunted just looking at it. Yeah. Well, the picture, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, but some of the, uh, the ghost stories surrounded, sur- surrounding it, according to legends, after the Civil War, a government official still kept slaves, locking them up at night. Hmm. One night, one of the slaves dug himself free and killed the entire fam- family. They think it's pretty unlikely since Ohio was not a, not a slave state. It had a lot of black laws. So this actually is likely. So the you mentioned that the um folklore of mud house mansion was that uh, ohio was not a slave state however the families that had that house had slave freed slaves in their basement one of them got out of the basement and killed everyone yes. which was unlikely so interesting thing and it doesn't give a time when this happened um, uh no and it also say says um says another story sets a mass murder or mass suicide by hanging of a more recent family there um which of course those kinds of things would not have been recorded really in newspapers so frequently but um anyway so going with the black laws and mind you this um african-american history is not my strong point i'll give that little asterisk because i haven't read up on it in a little while but the interesting thing about ohio was it was very divided even though it was considered a free state it was very mm-hmm. divided mostly between the rest of ohio and the western reserve now the western reserve is known as the connecticut western reserve and it kind of encapsulates the north eastern side of ohio so you're looking at along the ohio uh, erie uh, lake Lake Erie. I almost called it the Erie River. Um, <laughs> along, along Lake Erie, and it encompasses Cleveland, uh, Conneaut, Ashtabula, up to Erie, Pennsylvania, that type of area. Mm-hmm. And this was very abolitionist. And why I say this is important to my family history is my family is from this area of Ohio and we're big abolitionists. And before they moved to Ohio, if they weren't from Canada, they were from Connecticut. Mm. So um, I didn't really ever put those two and two together. They were (laughs) family knowledge, but reading this, I'm like, oh, well, this makes a lot of sense. So up until 1848, uh, Blacks were not allowed to get educated in the Ohio just educational system. There wasn't much of an educational system, but what was there, they weren't allowed up until 1848. And it was really the politicians from Cleveland and Akron and up in this territory area that rallied for um, abolitionist just laws to be put on the books. So repealing all the black laws that were put up in 1802 to 1804 and just trying to make Ohio much more free and liberal state. And uh, this is a very quick, brief history of Ohio, but um, they weren't always all over. Uh, Sojourner Truth actually lived in Akron for a long time, and Mm -hmm. aren't I a woman's speech was held there in 1851. And we actually had John Brown, and Simon Perkins, who were two big Ohio abolitionists, ran underground railroads throughout the entire state um, before the war. And But I can't find very much information quickly about yeah. um, the Reconstruction era. 
But that does touch upon what Jay and Dylan worked on with the Mermaids of the Ohio River, which is about escaping slaves during uh, the Reconstruction and wartime and how they were treated in Ohio and Indiana versus Kentucky because the Mm -hmm. Ohio River was really the uh, landmark, I would say of the Mason-Dixon line, though I will say attitudes towards um, freed slaves were really, the Mason-Dixon line's much higher and runs almost through Columbus, Ohio, through Indianapolis. So, yeah, um, that is a very brief history lesson. A good one. So it's It's possible that this could have happened there. Yeah, they may have been freed slaves that were just kept from actually leaving if that just basically imprisoned people they had kidnapped yep. people and left them in the du- in, in the dungeon that's about right um because i do know during similar time you have up in dresden ohio you have the adams family um and they had prospect place which is a famous haunted location in ohio and it is also the second empire style with a cupola on the top and their dance halls on the third floor and then the cupola goes up from there and the reason being is that adams were huge abolitionists and they had a cattle ranch so they deforested all of the cattle roaming area and they would be a major stop on the underground railroad so their basement barn doors were double the size because the farm hands would open up these doors and when a certain lantern was shown at the corner of the um, cattle ranch whomever was guiding the troop that's going north towards basically this western reserve or canada they would just run at full blast through this cow pasture into the basement. And the basement wasn't your typical basement with a root cellar. It was actually two bedrooms with fireplaces. They had made their basement specifically with like beds and comforts because these were people escaping terrible life conditions. And this is one of the few, I don't want to even say perks, but this beat sleeping out in the woods they were yeah. warm they were fed they and uh they, they were bed safe to sleep in. they had yeah. a bed to sleep in um i mean the mattresses were made out of straw but mattresses weren't great back then anyway <laughs> um but and it was clean and yeah so that was the adams family not enough is said about them in their house and trust in ohio how oh, interesting I'm gonna do yeah. more research on that yeah, yeah it's that- that's fascinating yeah and yeah i did see uh the ghosts of some people there really oh that was a very like a whole episode it's a whole episode we won't get into it now but mudhouse mansion known for bloody mary also in ohio no it said that it's the original bloody how many people claim that they are the original every single one of them every single oh really so there's like every house says that they're okay well and that the house was haunted by a woman who killed her children. Mm-hmm. Um, hey there, yeah, Yorona. <laughs> oh, well, hold on. A nice woman to who see you in Ohio. <laughs> or by a woman whose husband killed their children. Or by all the parties involved in the tragedy. I don't, that makes no sense. It seems like no. a lot of that stuff's super folklore. I mean, like, you know, yeah. the spirits that kill children and stuff. Like, I mean, obviously, because people just used to keel over for no reason so yeah i'm sure there's a lot yeah. of lore that goes with that um, I, but the mass family had every right to bulldoze yes. the property i mean it was a beautiful piece of architecture but yes. um they with all the looky-loos and people coming and actually graffitiing the inside yeah um it is trespassing it was and bad. one of the videos i saw that there was a fire set in there at one point I mean, it's really a liability for them. It so, was. Um, yeah. I actually dealt with a similar situation in Indiana. And in this case, it was the family of the Estes family. And their farmhouse was being turned into a haunted house attraction. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being the, the people that were turning it into the haunted house att- attraction were renting it. 
and they claimed paranormal activity. I've been there. I ghost hunted it. I had some strange activity. Nothing what was reported actually to be like what happened to me there was not what commonly was reported happening there. And that could be a different episode too. Wow, we're teasing people left and right. I know, I know, but, all these future episodes. Yeah, um, <laughs> but the gist is the Estes family, the building became such a liability with the same issue with the Lucky Loose coming in and breaking in and everything. And um, it just became an insurance liability and they bulldozed oh, yeah. it December 2nd of like 2018. Oh, wow. Re- I may have gotten the year off. It could have been 2017. It's extremely, <laughs> it's extremely yeah. expensive to uh, insure empty properties. Yes. Well, yeah. People stealing stuff, uh, you know, breaking in, getting hurt. Well, the, uh, the family did say that it would have cost millions of dollars to yeah. renovate it. Yes. And I guess the day from a Lancaster Eagle Gazette article, the day mm-hmm. they uh, bulldozed it, a constru- construction worker put a sheet over his head and took a photo in every window yeah before they tore it down and i thought that was kind of funny and cute that's a fun sense of humor yeah <laughs> poking fun yeah. like i i'm sure the mass family and this is just me speculating mass family feel free to write into us if you want <laughs> um since curiosities at gmail.com i'm sure it was a pain <laughs> in the butt for one and um uh, to have this kind of i'm actually curious about the family members growing up in a location that was said to be haunted and how that made them feel. Yeah. Um, I've talked to family members that have um, family members, deceased family members buried in step cemetery in Morgan Monroe state forest. And that place gets vandalized every single Halloween. There's only one original headstone left and they are pissed and tired of people yeah. stealing their headstones. So I'm sure, because headstones are not cheap. No. no. But to be able to renovate a house like that, you're dealing with lead. You're dealing yeah. with asbestos. Um, yeah. You're dealing with, excuse me, something is in my eye. Um, oh, there wasn't a floor I hate left. that feeling. There was no floor left. No. It, it, it was it was, a, it was a health hazard to be able to go yeah. there. So yeah. I totally get it. I mean, I know a lot of people would be like, dang, but yeah. What do you do with it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, I guess we can segue into our guests talking yes. about empty and unbuilt property. So <laughs> tonight we have our friend Jeff Cease and he talks about the mischievous history of the magic eight ball and the famous Cincinnati clairvoyant, Laura Carter Pruden. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a wonderful special interview we have with a local Cincinnati historian. We have with us right now Jeff Cease, who is the historian and librarian for the Cincinnati Enquirer, which is the newspaper here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hello. Thanks for having me. So, yes, I am excited to talk to a local historian as a historian here. And then we also have Jen! Hi, Jen! <laughs> oh no, Jen is very quiet. Why are you so Am quiet, I? Jen? Hello. There we go. Do I need to sit closer? Yeah, you do. Okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry. You're just like, hi! <laughs> I'm back here. I'm not so, known as a quiet person, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was like, this is a little odd. So, Jeff, you brought us two interesting stories to talk about tonight. And the first one being the Chamber of Commerce building. Mm-hmm. So can you share with us the history of this place? Sure. The uh, Chamber of Commerce building was uh, a design by uh, one of the premier uh, American architects named H.H. H. Richardson. And he was kind of a unique guy who liked to dress up in medieval uh, clothing. <laughs> and uh, he was kind of a big bearded guy and uh, kind of eccentric and most of his stuff is out in kind of the Boston area and so he designed only one building in Cincinnati but he died before or in Ohio but he died before um, it was built so it's his last design and the Chamber of Commerce you know so it was the it was the headquarters for the Chamber of Commerce but it this guy uh has his own style it's called uh richardsonian romanesque style and Ooh. cincinnati city hall is done in the richardsonian romanesque style uh 
and so it's got those rough stones and it actually looked like a castle it yeah these four you know, towers on each end and um it's these rough stones and high windows and everything and it's his style was very popular in the late 1800s um and so this was a, <clears throat> you know if the building were still around it'd probably be one of the gems of the city really because mm. of how important he's up there with like frank lloyd wright and you know yeah as well known um and the uh the problem with the, so the building was finished in around 1895 or so. And in 1911, there was a, um, a fire one day and there was a, the, the second floor of the building, they wanted to have it uh, with these no sight line or problems. So they had no towers. Instead, they supported the upper floors with like a truss system. And the, the flames got up to the truss and, and weakened the steel and the top floors came crashing down. Oh, geez. And, uh, six people did not get out <laughs> in time, including there was a, an Inquirer reporter who had run in to cover the story and was killed. So oh he gosh. had kind of a tragic you know, story in general. Well, the stones were still in pretty good shape. And so they had this idea to um, this observatory or this uh, astronomical society uh, wanted to build an observatory out in Cleves. Mm. And so they went out into uh, a park uh, out in Cleves area and they had all the stones carried out there and then they ran out of money. <laughs> and so the stones sat there for years and years and years and they kind of forgot about them. Well, in the 1970s, there was an architectural student at uh, DAP, uh, University of Cincinnati's uh, arch architectural and design school. Mm -hmm. And he was listening to this art, this uh, lecture all about Richardson and these stones out in the field somewhere. And he's like, well, I wonder if ever, whatever happened to those stones. So he went out there and found that they were completely covered in like poison ivy and weeds and all these things. And they've been out there for like 50 years. <laughs> and uh, so he had the idea well, to, to use some of the stones to build a monument to Richardson. So they had a, a competition at the school um, and one of the other students won and he designed this little memorial to Richardson that they put in Burnett Woods, which is a, a wooded area out across the street from the University of Cincinnati. And it's actually across from the DAP school. Um, and the stones kind of look like, like a little mini Stonehenge or something. And you have no idea why. Well, one of the stones, the tallest one actually says Chamber of Commerce written on it. And it was the, what they call the lintels that would go over the door. Right the entranceway. And so they kind of have this rose colored uh, rough stones. And so that's the kind of the, the history of that. But uh, before all that, no, you know, that's not a story that people really knew uh, that much, unless you happen to be around DAP in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. so most people are wondering what, you know, why is there these, these statues, you know, the Stonehenge sitting <laughs> in Burnett Woods. Well, even more confusing was they didn't use very many stones compared to what was there. There was something like 2000 tons of stones out in wow. this field and it just they still sat there for many many years and so these urban legends started building up around it where people started thinking like well what are these stones out here and the the rumor that was going around was that it was some sort of sanitarium or asylum that it had been destroyed and exploded you know the imaginations kind of got big but <laughs> wow uh, yeah <laughs> Because no one, there was not enough, it was so far back in history, you know, it was 100 years ago that nobody knew anything about Chamber of Commerce. The average right. person doesn't know who Richardson is. They just see these these stones out there. So the imagination kind of goes because, you know, it's quite a way. I mean, Cleves is not really close to downtown. <clears throat> mm -mm. So it's not like you would be thinking, oh, I bet this is that building, you know. <laughs> so it was um, uh, a I, the story kind of came to me a few years ago when um, a, the wife of one of the advisors had come to me and said that they didn't have a plaque anymore on the, the monument. So they wanted to kind of tell this story. So it was kind of interesting to go back and research, you know, the original stories about the tragedy uh, mm -hmm. and the stones. And I don't know if it's around that time because I became more hyper aware of them, but um, eventually the city decided that, hey, these are, there's too many like, elements with these old stones and things that they're not great for the, the environment or safety and so they they eventually removed the stones from the park but i don't haven't really been able to figure out how you remove two thousand tons of stones and where you put them <laughs> but so that's still kind of a mystery uh mm -hmm.
Yeah, that's really interesting, though. Um, I, I was just thinking that Richardson may have been about a century too early for the Ren Fair group, <laughs> yeah. but would have fit in very well. <laughs> yes. And he was, again, apparently quite eccentric, but influential. I mean, if you look around um, pretty much throughout the country and you see uh, buildings with the rough stones and the arch windows, um, visiting my brother in Seattle and I feel real knowledgeable. I'm like that's Richardsonian Romanesque architecture, you know? Um, but you know, so it's, it's, it's a shame that the building was lost, but um, because, you know, we could have actually had one of those, you know, the last piece of, you know, his legacy, but mm-hmm. the, um, the story ends up be- taking a weird <laughs> turn, you know, by burning down and being tragic there and then being lost and uh, kind of weird remnants. Yeah, it, it just, it's interesting how this, I, I love how urban legends get created yeah. and how people will just weave stories from just seeing basically abandoned construction and, uh, and construction materials too. So, Jen. And, and well, and there, I was going to say, there's no indication whatsoever where the stones went. I haven't been able to track that down. Um, they had to be removed. The city asked had them removed or the counting maybe it was um but i don't know what, what you do with such a thing do you try to break them down to smaller parts or do you find a yeah another if it's story? a lot of since if it was cincinnati they probably ended up at spring grove cemetery somewhere right. oh, wait, where they seem to dump everything <laughs> <laughs> there is another part of the building that's still around and that is um the, there were these stone eagles on top of the building and they were repurposed and used in Eden Park. Oh, if you go past yeah. the Crone Conservatory, and there's a bridge. Yeah, four eagles. Uh, and those are yeah. from the Chamber of Commerce building. <laughs> I always wondered where they came from because they don't look like they quite match everything else. Right. They're just like super detailed, and the rest of uh, Eden Park looks like it's almost like um, this um, folk. Oh. That's my dog. Uh, arts and crafts <laughs> style stuff. Very, very rough. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish they were still out there in Cleves. Yeah. They're I wish they looked like Stonehenge in Cleves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would oh, be a different story. Spray painted now. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They would have been tagged. It must have been something to see initially, though, before they did anything, to just walk out there and not have any idea what these things are and you know having all the uh the overgrowth you know Mm -hmm. like what are these yeah that imagination running wild there too i'm sure it was a lot of that it was the satan's hollow um story that you know christina was telling me about you know that's immediately came to mind that same sort of idea of this unknown thing that you start going well what could this be and your first thought isn't i bet this is a building from downtown cincinnati you know okay no you would never think that no yeah and that that reminds me of the random staircases that you can find in the woods and there's one particular location and unfortunately i can't think of where it is i want to say massachusetts because i think my friend jeff belanger covered it but it's at least in new england it's just a random staircase from a basically a vacation villa that was mid-construction and they ran out of money so this big grand staircase is basically in the middle of this forest and if you look on reddit in a lot of the creepypasta or urban legend groups they talk about this finding the staircases in the forest and how you're never supposed to go up them (laughs) and a lot of it may originate from this incomplete villa in in new england that makes me want to go out in the woods and just build a random staircase (laughs) just for the sake of like production value and so i can take pictures that is awesome put a track cam in there (laughs) yes (laughs) put a ghost at the top push someone (laughs) off of it i don't know (laughs) this is starting to feel like (laughs) scooby-doo Kat, have you, in all of your research and stuff that you've done, have you ever um, uh, figured out how, like, to track back urban legends to one person? So a lot of that would take. So um, a lot of that takes field research and interviews. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that I did when I was still in school was track Bloody Mary, 
And I continued that research a little bit when a few years ago, when I was still writing, um, I think Haunted Hoosier Halls. And it's a lot of interviews and trying to get approximate dates and then building basically a large timeline in the different variants that you find. Bloody Mary is a very difficult urban legend. Um, We can do it with Slender Man, however. Right. uh, Because that one is a modern urban legend that was created online. And we kind of can do it with black eyed children as well. So depending on the story, you can kind of build these timeline cases and uh, figure out where it started or the region where it started. You may never get one particular person, but maybe a region. Okay. Yeah, that's it. That could be an entire episode into itself. Yeah, I I bet. Yeah. So the other story that you have to share with us, Jeff, is about the mysterious eight ball. The the was it the uh, magic eight ball and its connection to Cincinnati. Yeah. So um, we'll start back with uh, the connection is that um, there was a well known medium who lived in Price Hill named Laura Pruden. She was also known as uh, Laura Carter. Um, she'd been married several times and um, she was actually world known as uh, throughout the world um, for being a medium and could speak to the dead and uh, she particularly had attracted the attention of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle the creator of Sherlock Holmes who was a great reliever especially trying to find his mother and his son um, ghosts and so I did an article about this in the Enquirer a couple years ago and I was going to read if it's all right a little bit about um, Doyle's writing about a seance he had with Laura Pruden. Um, so this was from his Our American Adventure uh, travelogue book. That she makes a dark cabinet by draping the table and holds the slate under it while you may, oh, I should start off. She did slate writing. Um, so yeah. she, uh, the, the spirits would communicate to her as she would say, and then write, write things down on the slate. Uh, so let's start again. She takes a dark cabinet by draping the table and holds the slate under it while you may hold the other corner of it. Her other hand is free and visible. The slate is double with a little bit of pencil put in between. After a delay of half an hour, the writing began. It was the strangest feeling to hold the slate and feel the thrill and vibration of the pencil as it worked away inside. We had each written a question on a bit of paper and cast it down, carefully folded on the ground in the shadow of the drapery that psychic forces might correct <clears throat> condition might have correct conditions for their work, which is always interfered with by light. Presently, each of us got an answer to our question upon the slate and were allowed to pick our folded papers and see what they had <clears throat> that they had not been opened. The room, I may say, was full of daylight and the medium, of course, could not stoop below without our seeing it. And he and his wife said, altogether, it was a most utterly convincing demonstration. Now, uh, Doyle was also good friends with Harry Houdini, who was the, uh, the great magician and escape artist. And Houdini was not a believer. And he used to go around and try to debunk um, the, the different psychics. And he was in town uh, in Cincinnati in April of 1925, um, a couple of years after Doyle's visits. And he, there was a letter I found online on the Hotel Gibson stationery in Cincinnati where um, that Houdini wrote that Mrs. Pruden, the medium I am challenging here, has been authenticated by Doyle Bird et al. There's a couple of different psychics. So he went to challenge uh, Laura Pruden and trying to solve it. There is no records of what he came up with. So um, we just have that when he was in town, he was supposed to meet up with, with Laura Pruden. Um, but a couple of, of real quick side things. When um, Doyle died, uh, one of his friends met with Laura Pruden again and had a seance. And he claims that uh, that Doyle wrote a message um, to him and his handwriting matched his signature on a, an autographed book he had of Doyle. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. So... Um... So then we get to the other Cincinnati. Uh, yes, continuing. So after she died in about 39... Her son, Albert Carter, took the idea of um, speaking to the spirits and asking them questions, and he came up with a, um, a toy, and it was a cylinder, kind of like a kaleidoscope type cylinder, and he put liquid in it and these little dice that would, you could ask the, the spirits questions, and uh, he went and found a couple of other local guys, and one guy, a guy named um, Abe Bookman, 
who had some connections in the engineering and stuff, and they uh, started working on it and they called it the Psycho Seer. So it was, uh, and they got a, a University of Cincinnati um, uh, professor, a psychology professor to come up with um, the types of what would be the good responses to have. And <clears throat> so that was, it was, they called it, it was the Psycho Seer. Their, their quote was the miracle home fortune teller. And uh, they, they, they got the patent in at about 1948 or so, but um, Carter, the, so the son of Laura Pruden, died right about the same time they got the patent. So uh, Abe Bookman kept the uh, company going, and it was called Alabe Toys, Al from Albert and Abe, Al Abe. And uh, so they tried to sell it for a while. And then uh, these different companies would come up with, it's like, oh, could you do one? And this, and they, the shape sh changed over the years. And so they, they went from the cylinder to a sphere. And there was a billiard company out in Chicago who said, hey, could you do one where you wrap it up and it looks like an eight ball? And uh, that's the, for whatever reason, the eight ball is the, the style that really caught on. And it became the magic eight ball. And since they, they sold the company and, you know, went on to become this, you know, huge, um, but the uh, uh, Bookman died, not that, I mean, 30 yeah, years yeah. ago, but not, it was like 1992 when he died. Yeah. Um, and he's buried in Evandale and both Laura Pruden and um, her son, Albert are both buried in Springgrove. Like mm -hmm. I said, everything goes in Springgrove. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of does. <laughs> But that's really interesting. Something I didn't know when I moved here to Cincinnati is how much toys were an integral part of our history. Mm -hmm. Like the Kenner plant and the Kenner offices and then now Magic 8-Ball. So Yeah, in fact, I mean, a little plug. I, I, I wrote a book um, where one of my chapters was on all the different toys uh, that came from Cincinnati. So you not only Kenner, you also have uh, bicycle, playing cards, Play-Doh, um, Uno, yeah. Also started uh, in writing, so you know, so all of those uh, those connections. All the toys of our childhood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have my magic eight ball somewhere in the house. I have to dig it out and ask it some questions. I never had a magic eight ball, but I had friends that had one, so I'd, that was always fun shaking yeah. it, seeing. But um, I'm I brought up the Henry Houdini letter and. I'm it was yeah April 9th 1925 and oh my goodness I never realized Henry Houdini had really messy handwriting yeah a lot of those people I mean you know they're using like you know pretty fancy pens and things you know that, yeah that's uh, probably a tip pen but yeah so a, a little bit of information just because there may be people interested in the type of medium that Lauren Pruden was. And she was one of two very famous, what they call independent mediums, being that they used a form of independent automatic writing to connect to the dead, not just uh, automatic writing. They didn't use pendulums. She wasn't using ectoplasm, which you would see a lot of old photos of. So she was basically in the middle of a daylit room she would put a just um a writing tablet in the middle of the table she would grab one side whomever she was having do the reading for would grab the other and then they would put what essentially was a blanket or something over it and it would magically start writing and uh, that's the type of medium she was and um the slab from looking at the the old site what was it the uh psycho slate it was it looked like a kaleidoscope as you said but it seemed to have like it sounded like it had a slab that things would match not magically but get written on but there'd be chalk just loose bouncing around in it that was the description i read at least mm -hmm. so and then it would just have um like yes or no and those simple questions right yeah it was much much simpler uh because yeah. his original idea and then he took it to you know bookman and there was another guy and those took a little more care into it because there was an actual designer involved and yeah a, you know just a guy with an idea yeah and it from what i read it looked like half of the answers were affirmative and then they would break it down to like 20 percent negative and 30 percent just neutral so <laughs> got really good chances of always being told yes yeah 
<laughs> was Laura, just... Laura was never debunked? Um, no, I mean, I, there, there was a, um, a guy who did say he thought he figured out how she did it. You know, mm -hmm. had to do something to do with like dropping her hand and reaching under and sw swapping out things or something. But, you know, it's technically, you know, it, how do you debunk things that, you know, they're, if they're carefully done, you're not going to, even if you did know, you weren't going to, you know, wouldn't yeah. publish it or, you know, and yeah. people, people like Doyle believed and people like Houdini didn't. And that wasn't really going to change. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, she kept being a practitioner of a, being a medium until she passed away. Mm -hmm. So, well, Jen, do you have any other questions? No, I don't think so. Oh, <laughs> well, this was great. Thank you for joining us on the show today, oh, Jeff. Thank you for sharing having the stories. Both of them are brand new. I did not know about them. <laughs> and I always love learning new things. Jen, did you know about well, them? Well, thank no. You. Uh, well, Jeff, well, Jeff and I, have been working together for years and there would be days we would spend hours talking about random stuff from the archives because he was so interested in it and I had no idea about any of it so he told me about the chamber of commerce mm -hmm. years ago but no I had no idea about the magic eight ball ah so we have to have you back on again to talk about weird history sure I'd be happy to welcome back everyone that was a very interesting interview with Jeff and now we have our hometown haunt segment. And uh, if <laughs> we have two stories from people that shared them with us this week, if you would like to share your own ghost story or creepy creature or UFO encounter, uh, you can email us at cincycuriosities at gmail.com and I will read them on, on the show for you. That's C I N C Y C U R I O s-i-t-e-s at gmail.com so our first story comes from our friend tabby cat gash and she's a friend of the show and she has her own podcast and we will put the link in the show notes she titled this one an irish doppelganger yay more doppelganger stories i love doppelganger stories jen's like no <laughs> no more no <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so Kat writes, I was traveling through Ireland with my sister Donna in 1991, and we made arrangements to stay the night in a B&B &B that was a very old converted jail in care called Carrington Castle. Carrington Castle. I'm sorry, our Irish viewers. Uh, we arrived shortly after dark and parked outside a very old stone structure that indeed looked like a castle. After checking in and dragging our bags up to the old winding up the old winding staircase to our room, we settled in and made plans to go out for some dinner. Wanting to freshen up before we left, I realized I had left my overnight bag in the car and grabbed my keys to go fetch it. The parking area was brightly lit, but the walkway from the building was only lit by a small motion detector light, which came on as soon as I went out the door should have blinded her my goodness <laughs> i got my bag and was about to shut the door when i saw my sister on the walkway headed towards the old stone archway that ends at the road i called out to her but she didn't answer i closed the car door and made my way back up towards the walkway and watched as my sister walked out the archway and disappeared Remembering that there was a steep drop-off towards the road, I feared that she had fallen down the hill and ran in that direction, calling her name. By the time I reached the archway, my sister wasn't there, and I began to panic and continued calling for her. Suddenly, I saw her behind me, walking towards the castle, and I couldn't figure out how she had gotten there. I ran and called out to her, but she didn't answer or turn around. Just as I got to the door, the motion detector light came on, and my sister wasn't there. When I put my security code in the door and went inside, I heard my sister's voice coming from down the hall. I walked into the sitting room to my sister to see my sister and our hostess talking in front of a roaring fireplace. I heard my sister asking our hostess for suggestions on where would be a nice place to eat for dinner. The hostess then excused herself as I asked my sister if she had been outside and I, and was told that she had just then come downstairs. She had not been outside at all. 
At first, I thought I had been mistaken at seeing her, but I realized that whoever or whatever it was was wearing the same clothing she was now wearing. How could that be? No. (laughs) Just no. Those things are evil. We went to dinner and I never mentioned to my sister of seeing her outside as I knew she would be upset with the experience. Just like Jen. The next morning as we were checking out, I asked our hostess if anyone had ghostly experiences there and her response was resounding, why of course we have. Did you? I only said yes, indeed, and thank you for her hospitality. As my sister and I packed up the car to leave, I looked up towards the walkway and wondered what or whose spirit had mimicked my sister's appearance and for what reason. I have experienced only two more doppelgangers since then. (laughs) Jen, you're so pleased. (laughs) Both were not only unnerving, but all three have yet to be fully explained. Will we ever know? Wow. Thank you, This can happen to you more than once. That's no. (laughs) I never want to experience that. Well, and it, if it, I do, it, I don't want to realize what it is in the moment. <laughs> do some people attract them more than others? Well, Kat is a medium, so she tends to run into spooky things a little bit more freque- frequently than the average person. Mm-hmm. Which we might be able to talk, dig into this a little bit next week uh, as, as you introduce the next section. Yes. So our next story is from Monica, and Monica is our guest next week. She is also a, a psychic, correct? A uh, medium, yes, yeah, she's a the- medium, and she'll be doing readings for us just in time for Halloween. Ooh. I know, I'm excited. I'm really excited. I am excited as well. Uh, Monica's story. She writes, "My friend was getting married in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and he invited my office to join them. So my office mate, her husband, and my wife all flew down together to Puerto Vallarta. We had a great time. New Year's Eve came and found us cruising in the markets on the last day for the special for that special souvenir. It was a bright, sunny morning, as I remember. People were out, and smiles were everywhere as we wandered into a jewelry shop to look around." I was looking at rings when someone called my name. I stood up and looked around. Just as the salesperson, my friend says that they hadn't called my name, so I ignored it. Uh, We went down the street further on the crowded sidewalk, and I heard someone yell my name. This time, I stopped dead in my tracks and looked around. Did one of you guys call my name? No was the answer I got. My wife said that Monica is a pretty common name in Mexico and sort of blew it off. So I did too. We then stopped at another shop. I, w- I was away from the other three and I was looking at earrings, this time in the store, in the front of the store, when I heard my name whispered to me as if someone was behind me. I slowly turned around and there was no one there. I got tense and found my wife. I told her that I heard my name again. This time it was in a whisper. Cynthia didn't know what to say to me. <laughs> but now I feel like I was being watched and I looked around for whomever was doing this to me. By the evening, we found ourselves at Elena's for dinner and fireworks on the rooftop. While we watched the fireworks, I prayed I prayed my mom and dad to help me figure out who wanted me, who's calling my name. We got back home the next night and they there were no more incidents after that. On Wednesdays, I would play billiards in a women's league on those days i would take my cue stick to work work and take the bus home and pick up my car and drive to the billiard hall but that night i found a note stuck to my car from cynthia asking me to come home before i went down for pool so i drove home and i was met at the door by cynthia she told me that my best friend susie had committed suicide on new year's eve the morning of new year's the morning of new year's eve i knew then who had been trying to contact me it was uh, her friend susie saying goodbye oh and actually uh, she'll probably go into a little bit more uh, detail next week because the story was really you know like she had a dream later that she talked to her and like you know there was a lot to this story yeah we're gonna be talking about the loveland frogman 
in addition to being read by monica the lighter on a lighter note (laughs) on a lighter note we'll be talking about frogman yes the loveland frogman our cryptids are always scripted now cryptids are always a good palate cleanser they are and the frogman is delightful and uh, we have an interview with tim as well who wrote the frogman comic for our anthology Mm -hmm. yeah and hopefully by next week we'll be fully funded and going into our stretch goals yes it will be uh, a little less tense yes yes (laughs) we'll be all relaxed and and no longer worrying about this anymore are we gonna be like drinking margaritas be like yeah i i think i think think we should should. i think we should yes i think that's definitely called for (laughs) yes exactly your drink of choice Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so um and and also if you like the podcast please subscribe um yeah so um (laughs) for us to be more findable on youtube please look for us at cincinnati cabinet of curiosities and we'll have of course the information at the bottom box but we need we would love to have more subscribers and more listeners and more people chatting with us because making a community is really important this time uh of year especially with covid we all like strange and spooky things we can all just chat about it together also you can find us on instagram at cincy cabinet of curiosities and on twitter at sin cabinet curio and we are all very active on social media i think it'd be safe to say correct i think so yes yeah so jen has her photography and christine and i have our artwork and Mm -hmm. uh yeah and if you would like go to kickstarter find us at the cincinnati cabinet of curiosities kickstarter campaign we are what 92 percent of the way funded we would like to be 100 percent of the way funded plus some would be very nice yes we have some extras for stretch goals and uh and you can just pledge to us a digital copy of our comic is five dollars but there are other tiers that are more so yeah, and we've got so much great stuff too. We've got the stickers, we've got the um, we, we've got the uh, prints on one tier. And uh, one thing we haven't really talked about much is I was putting together a PDF of sketches and behind the scenes stuff that we're giving to people if they want to know more about. I mean, you know how people do the scripts and how the stories came together. It's kind of like an art book for the project. It is, it is, you know, because I, I was looking at all the like little sketches people did and everything, and it's really neat to see how it comes together. So, yeah. um, you know, that's part of the upper tiers. Um, pretty much all the sketch tiers are gone except for one, and that will probably be gone by next week. Um, you right. know, but there is a lot of great stuff. Yes. Um, and, you know, we're really excited the book. We're about excited about doing another one, actually. Yes, we're already talking about it. We got yes, people. There's, there's things burbling yes burbling <laughs> that's a new word the good word bubbling burbling you know <laughs> they're already burbling for volume <laughs> and it isn't the sausages though <laughs> and on that note everyone <laughs> keep burbling and <laughs> be spooky good night. <laughs>